already told you the context. Jesus covered, Jesse covered the miracle last week. We're going to cover the controversy. This is all part of the main section, part one of John, and the section where John is showing Jesus as the son who has come from the father, who's constantly rejected by his people, but he keeps on offering life. You see this. It's happening right now. Now, the miracle results in an investigation by the Pharisees, the Jews, the religious leaders. And the investigation has three components. You see this. The first, it includes interrogation, right? In their examination, they they interrogate the, the man who was blind first. They're unsatisfied with that. They don't get the answer that they want or they're trying or they're looking for. They have an answer in mind. They're not looking for the truth. They're just looking to interrogate to get the answer that they want. So they interrogate the man. That leaves them unsatisfied. So they go find his parents. They interrogate the parents. That leaves them unsatisfied. They go back to the man a second time where he kind of turns the, flips the script on them. That's the context. In the context of working through this text, there's some eye-opening, deeper spiritual truths that Jesus wants us to see and to pay attention to. I'm going to start rattling them off, and I'm going to go as long as I can and try to get through as many as I have. So if you're taking notes, these are eye-opening, deeper spiritual truths that Jesus wants you to see and pay attention to, that Jesus wants us to see and pay attention to. This is the first eye-opening, deeper spiritual truth that we see in this text. Number one, we are all born spiritually blind. That's not such good news, but that's what we see. That's where this thing starts off. We're all born spiritually blind. The man we see, it was noted Verse 1, chapter 9, as he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind when? From birth. This is not a man who jammed something in his eyes. This is a man who was blind from birth. What's the sign? What's the deeper mirror? What's the deeper meaning? What is the significance? At the spiritual level, blindness refers to spiritual darkness. Just like the man was born physically blind, we are all born spiritually blind. We've been talking about this as we walk through the Gospel of John. Remember, I said this a couple weeks ago, we don't become sinners when we commit our first sin. We sin because we are born with a sin nature. We are born sinners. We come into this world, Scripture tells us over and over again, spiritually blind. We don't become spiritually blind. We're born spiritually blind. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. At the spiritual level, this sermon is about spiritual blindness. And ultimately, what's the solution for it? 
The category of blindness refers to those who are in spiritual darkness, which is all of us apart from Christ. So if you can see at all spiritually, it's because of the grace of Jesus at work in you. Blindness refers to those who are in spiritual darkness and therefore are lost and groping around in the dark. Part of the implication of being born into a fallen world is that we are spiritually blind from birth. In other words, we have no spiritual perception. Romans 1 says it this way. It's a description of humanity as a whole. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The blind man represents fallen humanity, languishing in ignorance and sin and without hope, apart from something outside of themselves. Without hope of rescue until Jesus shows up and turns on the lights. That's why Jesus and John keep referring to Jesus as the light of the world, because he shines his light into our spiritual darkness, enabling us to see. Jesus is able to convince the man, nobody, it wasn't hard to convince the man of his physical blindness. He knew that he was blind. He had never seen anything ever until he was healed. But Jesus is able to convince him of his spiritual blindness. Notice, if you remember Jesse's teaching, that, that before, Jesus doesn't even ask him if he wants to be healed or anything. This guy, is, this guy can't see what's going on. He can only hear. And so Jesus is doing these things that everybody else can see. He's picking up some mud, spitting on it, rubbing it together. This guy can't see any of that. And then he puts it on the man's eyes, and then he tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Did you count, you need, this detail is important. At what point did the man receive his sight? It was after he somehow staggered with blood on, blood, mud on his eyes to that pool of Siloam, did what Jesus said, and then he could see. It's faith in Jesus that brings sight. Jesus came to open eyes. The man couldn't change his blind condition. All he could do is lay and beg for a living. He couldn't give himself sight. That's why we love the song, Amazing Grace. No matter how old you are, you're probably familiar with it, right? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You can keep going. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. What do we attribute if you can see your sight to? 
We attribute it to the grace of God. We attribute it to amazing grace. We attribute it to Jesus. If you can see this morning, it's because God has been so kind to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. He saw you groping around in your spiritual darkness and he gave you sight because he's rich in mercy. Jesus came to open eyes to give the light of revelation that heals them to see. This is why John keeps referring to him over and over again as the light of the world. Have you received the light of the world into your spiritual darkness so that you may have eyes to see? That's the main question that this text gets at. Do you see Jesus for who he is? Have you believed in his name? Are you enjoying life in his name? Now the story continues. The neighbors take the guy to the Pharisees. Now, you might wonder, why did they do that? Why did his neighbors take him to the Pharisees? Let's face it, the Pharisees, there's an ominous tone whenever the Pharisees show up. When the Pharisees show up, it's, 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 it means conflict for Jesus. So they brought him to the Pharisees. We immediately go, oh, no. <laughs> Here comes another fight. And we were right to say, oh, no. But that wasn't the reason why they brought him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the leaders of the community. They were the religious leaders, but also the, the leaders of, of the Jewish community. And so something as significant has happened. A man who was born blind can see, and we'd like to get your commentary on this. We'd like to get your, your comments. What do you guys think about this? Something significant has happened. What's going on here? What's going on in the world? And immediately we see, and this is my second eye-opening, deeper spiritual truth that Jesus wants us to see and pay attention to, is that grace creates division. Grace creates division. I've been telling you that grace is disruptive. I'm telling you now that grace creates division, and we can see it here. We've even got a division among the Pharisees because there's a group of them that are saying, because it was a Sabbath day, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. He needs dough or he needs mud. He's, he's, you know we're not allowed to knead dough on the Sabbath. He's, he's rolling mud up, putting it on people's eyes. No, no, no go. Well, wait a second. The man can see now. No! He's rolling. He's kneading the dough. We can't accept this. He's a sinner. But a couple of them say, uh, well, just hold on for a second. How can a man who is a dinner, I just want uh, a sinner, do such things? Sometimes the world needs a good dose of common sense. I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but I see something incredible has happened, and I just want to raise a question. <laughs> question. How can a man who is a sinner do that to him? So there's a division. Then there's another division that takes place, and it's between the son and his parents. They interrogate the son, and then they say, we don't, we don't believe you. Nope. 
We need a verification. We need the parents to tell us that he was born blind. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. So until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? They're trying to catch Jesus on the Sabbath infraction. So if he's blind and Jesus did something to heal him, then he's a sinner. Like I said, he's not from God. He's not paying attention at all to the significance of the event. And the, the parents are really scared because this was big. They're going to get put out of the church. The church, the church it's, on, it's not like church in our day. Church and life and community was all tied up together. If you were a leper and put out, if you were excommunicated, it was like being excommunicated from the community. Like, we don't want to see you ever again around here. You're out. It's, it's the... Being cast out is the language that is used when Jesus casts out demons. Get out of here. It's the same language. Get out. I don't want you around here anymore. So if, you are going, if you're prepared to tell us that you actually believe in Jesus, get out. Now Jesus says something that, that some of you, I hope, took note of in verse 39 when he's wrapping this thing up he says for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind do you guys know John 3 16 does anybody know John 3 16 do you know John 3 17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Wait a second, go back. Let's read 39. For judgment and condemnation, I came into this world. Flag. Bible's wrong. Jesus just contradicted himself. That's what some people do. They, they read that, and they don't take the time to actually look at how these two statements could be reconciled, that the whole Bible fits together. But it's fair to point out, that seems contradictory, Jesus. Which one is it? We can reconcile this. Jesus did not come specifically and primarily to condemn spiritually blind people like us. He didn't come primarily and specifically to condemn sinners. He came primarily and specifically to save the lost. But his coming results both in salvation and judgment. That's how you reconcile this. In other words, grace is creating division. Grace is coming, and some people are saying, have mercy on me, Lord. Save me. And some people are saying, he's got a demon. Get out of here. We don't want anything to do with this Jesus. He's not of God. I don't accept him. I won't believe in him. It's a division. The light shines into the darkness. Those who welcomed it are delivered into the light. Those who reject it go into, are delivered into even deeper darkness. The same light, the same light 
dispels darkness and casts shadows. So I'm saying that grace divides. The question we're asking ourselves today is, where do you find yourself? Grace has caused this division. Has the light come into, the, into your heart and op opened your eyes to see and brought you into an even greater, glorious, marvelous light of Christ? Or has it resulted in you running away from it and into a deeper darkness? Now, I do want to say, sometimes the Pharisees take a beating. They're easy to pick on. I mean, there's not a preacher that hasn't teed off on the Pharisees. They just come off looking bad. And I will say this, no one gives them more of a beating than Jesus does. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently after a sermon, and they were just saying to me, and I appreciate it because it shows close reading of the scriptures. They were saying, you know, I, I feel sorry for the Pharisees. Do you ever feel sorry for the Pharisees? If you're sitting there saying, no, no I'm me. they getting what's coming. Then you, you're missing. <laughs> we should feel for anyone who's lost and, and continues in spiritual darkness. We should be compassionate. Towards them. Jesus was, even though he said harsh words to them, he spoke the truth to them. He would have had them if they would have Jesus. But no one should ponder the tragedy of the Pharisees without asking some deep and disturbing questions. So that means all of you, me. We should ask some deep and disturbing questions. Because listen, these are people who revere the scriptures. Do you love God's word? These are people who were zealous to obey it. They were pious in their behavior. They were fasting all the time. They were praying. Do you take part in the spiritual disciplines? They frequently worshiped God. They gave sacrificially to God's work. Yet, they were among the main instruments in Satan's hands to have Jesus crucified. And I want to say to you that the Pharisees are not extinct. They in this room, right here, they live. Whenever we find ourselves valuing the letter of the law above the common sense spirit of the law, we should beware. Whenever we find ourselves holding others to the letter of the law, but giving a lot of room for the interpretation of that when it comes to an evaluation of self, we should beware. Whenever we lose that daily 
even hourly sense of joy in the grace of God. Because the grace of God is what we're living in, folks. If we're, li- if we're alive in Christ, it's because of grace. So whenever we lose that sense of daily sense of joy, hourly sense of joy uh, in the grace of God, we should beware. The only security against pharisaical pride is grace. It's the only security. Which is probably why, church, probably why the Lord sometimes allows a little stumbling in our spiritual walk to remind us of the power of his grace and to rediscover the joy that's in it. Have you been walking? Have you fallen lately? Have you stumbled in your attempts to follow Jesus? Maybe he's using that to remind you of the incredible grace which you are dependent upon if you're going to get from where you are to eternity with him forever. You ready for some more? All right, let's keep going. Eye-opening, deeper spiritual truths that Jesus wants us to see. We're we're born spiritually blind. Grace creates division. This one will be substantive, and then the last couple will be shorter. Here's the third one. Decisive faith is characterized by the testimony of personal witness. I'll say it again. You write it down. Decisive faith is characterized by the testimony of personal witness. When the Pharisees come to the man, they've got a division. They've got two sides that are coming to the man. There's one side that are saying, Jesus is a sinner. And there's another side saying, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know if I'm open to that idea that a man could do these kinds of things and be a sinner. So they approach him asking, which side are you on? Who are you on? You're the one who's healed. Which side are you on? He instantly, he does well here, right? He instantly sides with Jesus. That's the right answer. He basically says, They say, listen, he's breaking Sabbath rules. He basically summarizes and said, listen, the niceties of your Sabbath regulations don't concern me. So did he he break a Sabbath law by making the mud like it was kneading dough? Did he break a Sabbath law by touching my eyes or anointing the eyes, which was a a no-no on Sunday, on the Sabbath? So all that you're trying to trip him up on, I don't know. Like you guys study all those things. You guys have made all these things. I don't know that. I only know one thing. And I'm going to repeat it right now for you. I'm only, I only know one thing. I used to be blind. I spent my whole life blind. And now I can see. To the question, is Jesus a sinner? The man is prepared that, to leave that question in the hands of the theological experts. But one thing he does know, and he will not relinquish it. One thing he does know, and he will not cower. One thing he does know, and he will not bow down. He was blind, 
Now I see. Decisive faith is characterized by the testimony of personal witness. Once I was blind, now I see. Now, believing in Jesus, if you didn't, there's a lot in this text, but believing in Jesus does have repercussions. We should be prepared for this, church. If you, make, if you were just baptized recently, maybe you're not experiencing the repercussions yet, but they are coming. If you make a decisive, you make a, a, a decisive act of believing in Jesus, it's going to carry with it some repercussions. The difference that Jesus makes in our lives, a changed perspective, a changed outlook, will come out in your life. It'll come out. Like if Jesus has really changed you, somebody else ought to notice. Your family ought to notice. Your, your extended family ought to notice. Your neighbors should take notice. Your coworkers should take notice. And when they do take notice in a changed perspective, a different outlook, it could actually function as a rebuke to them. Like, man, you used to go along with us doing this stuff. Now you don't, and, and it makes me feel guilty, and I don't like feeling guilty. It could surface attitudes that we would prefer would remain hidden. Now, I have a bunch of things that I'm, I would love to say about this, but I'm going to move on to something. I, I just want us, as a church, I think we always want to be talking about the fact that we're Great Commission believers, that, that, that the, the, the mission that Jesus has left, left the disciples with, he left us with as disciples. And I think too often we leave the missional task of making disciples to the people that are real hardcore about that stuff like the Navy SEALs at a church. Well, that's not who Jesus left his mission for. It includes all of us. So, so to that response, you might say, it's so hard. It's so hard to do that. It's so uncomfortable. I just want to simplify it for you. Here's what he did. I don't know about all your theological laws. I don't know. I'm not going to be able to get in an argument and win over there. All I know is this. I was blind. Now I see. That's it. Giving personal witness to your faith in Jesus, we can simplify this task. We might not be able to articulate the reality, all the realities, the theological realities of what Jesus has done to the satisfaction of others, but in the end, we may simply testify, I once was blind, but now I see, and as I read the Bible, that's what it indicates Jesus came to do. We could be used of God, each of us, in Christ can be used of God if we just simply give testimony to what he's done in our lives. Now, there's, there, there's tools. You can be helped in learning to, to share the gospel more effectively. We do some of those things around here, and, and we should do those things. But I think at its simplest, it's just giving testimony to what God has done. It's just using your gifts and talents to 
to make Jesus famous. I was reading a really interesting commentary today or this week on the friendship between John Owen and John Bunyan. John Owen, if you don't know, one of the most famous Puritan pastors, brilliant mind, formerly educated, and he moved in the circles of the elite. He spent time with the King of England. He was a uh, bright theological mind. You can read some of his books now if you dare. Because they will, God will use them to change you, change you, but you're going to have to do some waiting because he was writing a long time ago. He was friends with a man named John Bunyan, whom many of you know as the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. In reality, John Bunyan is probably more famous. His book has sold way more copies than any of John Owen's. But John Bunyan, though a bright man, completely uneducated, poor, and and ignored, basically, thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. They were friends. And it's told that, that Bunyan would start to preach. He would get out of jail. When he got out of jail for preaching the gospel, he would show up in these cornfields and stuff. Remember, no technology, no speakers or anything. Thousands of people would gather to hear this uneducated tinker. He, was a, he, used, to make, he used to repair pots and pans. So he walked down the street. You brought your pots and pans to him. He fixed them up, gave them back to you. That's how he made a living. But he would preach and thousands of people would show up. And it's told that King Charles II heard that John Owen, this educated man hung with the elite, would go and listen to John Bunyan preach. To which the king said, he, he asked Owen how he who had so much learning could listen to a tinker preach. To which Owen apparently replied, May it please your majesty, had I the tinker's abilities for preaching, I would most gladly relinquish all of my learning. What's the point? You can be just like a tinker. All you have to do is faithfully share what Jesus has done with others And may God use it in our lives in the same way he's used it in others throughout history. Decisive faith is characterized by the testimony of personal witness. Four, this one's going to be quick. Faith is a journey towards Jesus. Isaac, you can come up. Faith is a journey towards Jesus. Let me just show you this, what I mean by this. Here we have a model for the way a disciple's faith grows over time. He started off saying, the man they called Jesus healed me. Then, when he's being questioned, he says, who do you say he is? He's a prophet. Then he says, well, he's the one that opened my eyes. And then in verse 33, he says, well, he's from God. And then in verse 5, in response to Jesus, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, who is he that I might believe? He says, you're looking at him. And he says, Lord, I believe. What does this show us? The journey of faith. It shows that we're growing in our faith. You don't, the faith that you have now is not the faith that you will one day have. Your faith is maturing and it's growing as you get closer and closer to Jesus. So ask yourself this question. Where are you in the journey of your faith? How has your faith grown recently? Have you stalled in your journey of faith? Are you like on a journey, but the car stalled on the side of the road and you just left it there? Ask yourself, what could I do to jumpstart 
my journey, my faith journey towards Jesus. And then the last thing, that's four. Faith is a journey towards Jesus. And then the last thing that I want to say is decisive faith brings an immediate response of worship. Decisive faith brings an immediate response of worship. It says, Lord, I believe in him. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. One thought that I want to offer to you. I was thinking about what we could learn, and Paul Tripp did some work here. What could we learn from those who are spiritually blind and apply it to, uh, I'm sorry, physically blind and apply it to a spiritual blindness? And I think there's one thing that I want to just share with you as an act of worship, and that is to recognize that spiritual blindness remains. Do you know some of your, great, your greatest flaws? And yes, you do have them. Your greatest flaws are ones that you can't see. That's blindness, right? That's, that makes sense. You're great. And what, what often happens is God has given you all of us gifts. And we operate within those gifts. And we use those gifts. But oftentimes each of those gifts, you guys can go home and think on this, have a dark side or a shadow side. So someone who appears extremely generous could actually, if you knew them well, see that they are actually very impulsive with their money. And their generosity is actually an expression, not of necessarily godly character, but just impulsive spending. Maybe that wasn't a good example. My, my, my point is this. You need help in seeing areas in your life that you are blind to. You might be someone that really loves to serve others. You like to please people. That's a good thing. But then when someone criticizes you, you fall apart. Why? Because that desire to please others, its shadow side is you are controlled by the opinion of others. Do you see how spiritual blindness can function? We need God's grace to continue to work in us that we might see with the help of others and God's word and the Holy Spirit, the blindness that remains. I should do a whole sermon on that, but I won't. I'll only repeat what I ended with. Decisive faith brings in an immediate response of worship. So let's stand and worship Jesus, the light of the world. Amen.